Hello and welcome to another edition of Greening the News, the podcast from IEMA, the Institute for Everyone with an Interest in Environment and Sustainability. Um, Now, we talked a little bit in our last episode about a report that we had done with Deloitte about green skills and jobs and how pretty much every job and every role in the future will have some green element to it, some sustainability element. So we'll be talking a little bit more about this with two of our fantastic members who are working not in specifically in an environmental organisation, but working in environment and sustainability in organisations that in some cases are very, very broad and wide ranging. And we're speaking to Rebecca Garner, who's Head of Environment, Energy and Sustainability for the UK and Europe at Serco, and Laura Middlemas, who's Assistant Sustainability Manager at Newcastle Hospitals NHS Trust. So, Rebecca, I wonder if I could start with you. Could you tell me a little bit about what Serco do? Yeah, so Serco is a large organisation that delivers essential public services on behalf of the government, really. So we work across a number of sectors, sort of five key sectors. We work in defence, we work in justice and immigration, we work in health, we work in transport, and then we work in citizen services. So from an environment and sustainability point of view, that's anything from kind of running the essential interlink ferry, inter-island ferries up in Scotland through to supporting the the bike hire schemes in London through to providing catering and portering and hospitals and, you know, supporting the military Ministry of Defence on some of their really critical security infrastructure. So a huge range of activities that we do as an organisation. Now, a lot of people have said within the membership that they felt a little bit that they'd been kind of banging on the door saying, hi, do you remember sustainability? It's really important. And then now in the last couple of years, that door's been kind of flung open and behind the door, loads of senior people saying, fantastic. So what do we do now? So it's slightly different set of problems. I mean, are you finding that people are taking sustainability seriously now? Yes, we are. And I think it's always been recognised as an important subject within our organisation. But what we're seeing is that there's a lot more interest from our customers and from our investors in what we do on sustainability. So from our customers, particularly as we deliver, you know, public services for the government, it's around actually being able to help and support and their agenda on sustainability and environment and making sure that we can kind of innovate in the services that we provide and continue to deliver value for them. But then also also from our investor community around how we manage the risk of climate change to our organisation. So with the new you know, legislation that we've seen around the TCFD and the carbon emissions reporting and all the whole range of things that, that are being driven by policy and legislation that are also starting to you know, raise the level of awareness and um, importance of this for us as a, as a large organisation. Well, it would be a brilliant point at, at this point to bring in Laura because we're talking about public sector and I suppose people might to begin with think hang on NHS what's that got to do with sustainability but obviously you know I would imagine particularly at the moment with so many energy intensive processes that you need in hospital sustainability is very much to the forefront of everybody's thoughts. Yes, yes, it is. And it's and actually the NHS as a whole, I think it accounts for something like 5% of the UK's carbon footprint. Or some, I'm sure it's wow. along those lines. And also, you know, we've sort of become to realise recently, I suppose that, you know, the climate emergency is going to have a huge impact on health, um, not just of people around the world, but actually, you know, 
people in in the UK. So it is very high on the agenda. And at at Newcastle Hospitals, you know, we were the first healthcare organisation in the world to declare a climate emergency. And the NHS as a whole, you know, followed with, you know, a strategy about delivering a net zero NHS and has got some very ambitious targets about, you know, getting to net zero carbon, both not just for our direct emissions, but for the emissions that we can influence as well. So, yeah, I would say it is high on on the agenda and perhaps, you know, even more impressive that in the current context of everything, the pressure that the NHS is under, that that it's remained quite high on the agenda. Now, that point you make about the long-term impacts of climate change is really interesting. I wonder if I could we could perhaps come to back to that in a, in a minute. But I'd like to ask you both first, if I may, about your kind of, you know, the, the inbox, the what you're doing day to day, because I think a lot of people will be really interested in how sustainability kind of works at, at a working level in both your jobs. And, and Laura, perhaps if I could ask you first, what what are you trying to, you know, by the end of the week, if you look back, what do you think success looks like over the course of a working week? Well, I think for for me, it's become less about um, running sustainability projects, if you like, and more about facilitating and other people to run sustainability projects throughout the organisation. And it's really moved away from having being a small team who, you know, do sustainability for the organisation and more into trying to embed the understanding and the knowledge and the skills throughout quite a big organisation and and facilitate the discussions that need to happen, you know, between different people and different roles to to take the agenda forward. So it's not just me looking at sustainability. We've got a team of people and my particular role is around the engagement sort of side of things and um, yeah, we've got an objective as an organisation to embed sustainability throughout the workforce. So that's what takes my focus most of the time. And Rebecca, is that the same for you? Um, yeah. and, and what does that mean in practice? Yeah, it's interesting to hear that because I think, Laura, the same. So my world kind of straddles a range of different activities that's going on. So I think we still have that importance around the environmental management systems and the compliance and the structures that we have with that. So we're still helping kind of supporting people to implement that within the organisation. The other key thing that we're looking at at the moment is kind of our strategy. We're trying to create what our organisation will look like, create a vision for our organisation for sort of four or five years time and what that looks like Mm -hmm. from an environment and sustainability point of view. But the key thing underlying all of that as Laura's picked up and I'm seeing more and more of that in my role is that this doesn't happen as a small sustainability team sat in the corner now this is much more about what we do as an organization so it's around kind of capability development and training and awareness we've got big plans for world environment day you know to try and raise the awareness of environmental issues through that lots around you know the training that we provide and engaging with the key people particularly as at the moment around the solutions development. So when we're bidding for new work, uh, bidding for new contracts, to be able to kind of meet and exceed the expectations of our customers, we're really embedding sustainability at that point, at that solution development side there. So actually engaging with the people who would typically go out and, you know, win the work to kind of give them the the skills and the tools and the understanding around how we can integrate this at that level as well. That's really interesting. We both identified how much more seriously everybody's taking in both your roles. But what what are the challenges? What are the the things that kind of get in the way of you 
at seeing success in your organisations? Laura, would you like to start? There's definitely a number of challenges, but I think, you know, well, one thing that's definitely, you know, not not really a challenge is that there's this level of enthusiasm and appetite for it. We're not, I'm not finding we're having to do that work that you used to have to do of convincing people it was a good idea. We're now, you know, speaking for, for our organisation, Obviously, funding is a challenge and and time for people to, to find time out of their daily job to think about sustainability. That I think that they are the major, major challenges. I mean, do you think there's enthusiasm for sustainability I mean, at an individual level as well? I mean, you know, there are lots of organisations that are bringing staff teams into you know, switching off the lights and taking behaviours home with them, like recycling and that sort of thing. Is it, do, you, do you find that there's there's resistance in any part of the, the organisation? Um, not not really no I mean I, I think um, there's that de- there's there's definitely enthusiasm from the leadership here which is great and we've got an you know an active group of of green champions that that are in touch with us on a regular basis and we've got we do a regular staff survey which we've just done for this year and got some great feedback from there and on the whole support for sustainability is really high and actually 99% of our staff say it should be very or fairly important to the trust yeah so I think that helps keep the momentum really and it helps our own enthusiasm as well. Wow, uh, Laura. I mean, obviously, we can't have a conversation about the NHS without talking about the pandemic, which I'd like to to come back to in a minute. But Rebecca, are you finding in your organisation as well there's that you know, overwhelming support because that makes a big difference, doesn't it, in trying to implement sustainability policies? Yeah, I think there is. And this is the thing. And there's a lot of behaviours that people have at home that they're bringing to their workplaces and people have a real kind of enthusiasm and they have their ideas. And for us, it's actually been able to kind of unlock that and be able to capture that and enable that to happen. I think we also find we're quite a, a large and diverse organisation. So, you know, we have people spread all over the country in the part that I work in, but globally working on a range of different things. So it's also actually about finding out what they're doing. Lots of people are doing some really good stuff but they're doing it on their own in their own little pockets so similarly to you Laura you know we have a green ambassador network and part of that network has been around to kind of capture that enthusiasm and give them some framework around that but to really celebrate what they're doing and to kind of bring to the fore the actions that are happening so that we can kind of share that best practice amplify that message and kind of you know roll that out across other parts of our business as well. Now, hold those thoughts because I'd love to come back to you. I know we, we've got Andre, who's on the line with us, our own Andre Farrell, to talk a little bit about some of the current events that are happening at the moment. And we'll, we'll just very quickly just have a whiz around the news agenda, Andre. The Elizabeth line, we have to start with major infrastructure project. Now, I think... It had started at a time when you were a, a young whippersnapper at the RSPB, didn't it? Yes. <laughs> Slightly longer than we all expected. But uh, what do you think? Well, it's uh, it's taken a long time, but uh, Crossrail has morphed into the Elizabeth Line and is now running passengers. But of course, from a from a, an environmental sustainability point of view, one of the big challenges they had was what you do with all the mud you dig out from under London. And uh, the RSPB was in a fortunate position of having a rather large hole on the 
Essex coast that was in need of mud called Wallasey Island. It was an area of uh, embanked farmland that, of course, had, had sunk away after the 1953 floods when it was embanked to prevent it from flooding. And the, the owners realised that it was going to catastrophically fail at some point with sea levels predicted to rise. So they were looking for a way out. And, and the way out that the RSBB provided was to turn it into a thousand hectares of, of, of nature reserve to restore part of the Essex coast for both birds and for people to access the coast again. But of course, because the land had sunk, it was going to take 40 years to fill up with silt to turn it back into a, a natural system. And then along came Crossrail with seven million tonnes of mud. Um, and we were able to, to offer the solution to taking trucks through London full of mud because it was now able, we were able to bring it around on the river, discharge it onto the island through uh, a major fabricated dock that was made in Poland and dragged across the North Sea and tied up to the Essex coast. And then we were able to landform the island and get done in three years, what was planned to take uh, 40 years. And without the involvement of, of Crossrail and the, and the Environment Agency, it would have been a very long and expensive haul. It was a very long and expensive haul, but thankfully the, the RSBB didn't have to stump it all up. And now we've got birds nesting there. So, so the environmental benefits arrived before the first passengers Oh, that and that's really nice to hear, isn't it? You know that actually there's a, a, a synergistic, a big infrastructure project that's developed that's delivered environmental benefits as well. Now we're going to be talking to Laura and Rebecca about obviously the pandemic, which will have affected both our organisations some very very directly, and the you know the the echoes, the environmental echoes of that. Uh, one of which is food shortages massive increase in demand, food shortages, geopolitical situation as well in Ukraine. You've been working in environment for, I mean, I want to say an awfully long time. That makes, that sounds really rude, but you know what I mean? (laughs) Um, Quite a long time. Have you seen anything like this before? And what do you think the environmental impacts might be? Uh, well, they're they're profound at all levels, and 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 I think ultimately it's the political mood music around it at a time when we were on the brink of the new environmental land management scheme in England and Wales, which was a real opportunity to integrate some really sustainable land management with our food production. Uh, of course, feels like it's slipping backwards as as the, uh, if I can call them the food hawks, I don't mean to sound pejorative, but those looking to take an opportunity to maximise food production at the expense of in potentially environmental gains, I think feel they've got the green light to do that now. And how we're going to navigate through the next few years where there are undoubtedly going to be serious food shortages uh, and all the hand-wringing about the fact that what we should be doing is tackling waste when so much of our food is basically just thrown away that's not going to be a short-term solution so I do fear there's going to be a major pushback in terms of, of potential gains particularly in, in, in the UK and England and Wales around the environmental land, land management scheme uh, that we're not going to see maximised and we're, we're, going to, we're going to slip back but ultimately, the, the, the whole food industry is in is in ferment now. And of course, the, the news now that uh, gene edited crops are back on the agenda. And you, you'll remember from your time at the BBC the furore around oh, Frankenstein indeed, yeah. foods twenty odd years ago when crop trashing uh, and the whole thing. Ab- absolutely, and and. 
from a biodiversity conservation point of view, it, it was never an issue of food safety per se, but it was how does genetically modified crops back in those days uh, affect the agronomics, the, the agricultural processes that are going on, the relationship between crop and pesticide, the tying of producer to, to a chemical company, and all those relationships were quite profound. We're in a different place now, and I think technology has moved on, and, and it's going to be interesting to see how the, uh, the, the rather more, I think, modest um, technological advances around gene editing, putting vitamin D into tomatoes doesn't sound the worst thing on earth. Uh, and most of those are going to be um, grown under polythene tunnels or in gla- under glass. It's not going to be a, a, a field-based issue. So I think, the, I think the nature of that debate has changed, but it's, it's going to get tense, of course. Andre, as always, thanks ever so much for your thoughts on, on the podcast and on this week's news. So let's go back to our conversation with Laura and Rebecca. Thanks, Andre. And talk maybe a little bit about the pandemic, because I suspect, I mean, oh, there's obvious way that it's affected Newcastle NHS Trust. It probably affected, I assume, Rebecca, your work very involved with the public sector quite profoundly as well. Um, how do you think that relates to the work that you're now doing on sustainability and also the stuff you were talking about before about long-term investment and investors wondering about long-term effects of climate change? Yeah, so it's it's been an interesting one because there's been kind of positive and negative sides to it, I guess. It's fundamentally changed the way that we work in terms of remote you know, remote working and flexibility and um, business travel and things like and things like that that we were doing so in terms of actually how we deliver the services but likewise we had some real challenges around some of the services that we provide so we provide rubbish collection um, services for local councils we obviously do some work within their um, within the health supporting the other hospitals across some of our really critical um, defence sites as well where these are things that we can't just send people home from so it has there were new ways of working we had to develop to kind of manage the risk for that. And we have seen some things like we're having conversations at the moment about reinvigorating the single use plastics um, debate and what we can do to address some of those that actually 18 months, two years ago, we weren't able to talk about that because it was such a pressing need during during the pandemic to be able to respond to that. So we're starting to see some of this kind of these changes of working, some that have got real kind of carbon benefits um, around, you know, flexible working and remote working, but others where some of the issues potentially have been put on hold a little bit. And we're now starting to reinvigorate those as we come back out of the, out the back of the pandemic and, and you know, look to start start some of these things again. And, and Laura, I mean, obviously, um, the pandemic has had a profound, profound effect on every bit of the NHS. Yeah. Um, but have you found it? I mean, it, you know, it, it's it's really encouraging to hear that even with all of that yeah. going on, sustainability is still fairly central to yes. the thinking and planning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that in one, in some ways, people have realised we can completely change the way we do things in in ways that, you know, five years ago or even three years ago, we, we were just really scratching our heads to think, you know, how do we change, you know, so much that is fundamental about what we do? And yeah, we had to think about new ways of, of treating patients and a lot of can be done remotely. And, you know, do patients need to be travelling in to collect their drugs, for example? For, you know, we cover a wide geographical area and we're, we're a large trust and we're 
we have some patients that are from the other side of, of England, from Cumbria. So, you know, lo- lots of those changes, you know, w- will be remaining, which has been, you know, which is obviously really good. And yeah, just just that that giving, you know, people having that notion that that transformational change is possible and can be quite quick. I think on the downside, there's obviously the PPE elements, um, which are, which is you know which has dramatically increased, um, yeah. and also just the just the the impact it's had on on the workforce and the the you know on the mental well being of everybody really who is especially frontline who work in the NHS that yeah I think that's that's um, obviously going to it needs we need to be careful we don't just heap more and more upon people. That's you know, that's a really good point about the PPE because we're all there, aren't we? I mean, you know, even personally, the number of masks, the you know, the the kits. If you were yeah. testing every day or every time you went into the office or were with colleagues, I mean, just the plastic and the waste that you. I mean, how do you manage that in a, in an NHS trust? Well, I mean, it's, it's it's dramatically increased the amount of waste that we've had to dispose of, and there's not much more that we can do with it. You know, in your personal life, you can choose to use maybe a reusable mask, mm. but we we obviously haven't been able to 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 take some of those options. But the, encouragingly now, you know, as Rebecca said, we are starting to see a little bit of a reversal of some of that. So we're looking at uh, reducing um, glove use. That, that that has increased a lot during the pandemic. But now we're looking at, uh, at doing some work around, you know, actually, you know, glove use can be worse for, for infection control and actually washing hands is the, is the best <laughs> way to, to prevent that kind of transmission. So there are we are starting to see a little bit of a reversal on that sort of thing, PPE. Now I'd like to ask. Oh, sorry. I know. I was just going to say. I think. I think there is that. There's this kind of because we went through that very quick change with Mm. the pandemic, and I think yeah, there is a certain amount of um, element of fatigue, and we're seeing that within the people we're working for. But there's also a certain amount of like we actually did that. You know, we did that change, but we're also in we're in another period of change now as we kind of come out of the back of it and we start to find new ways. But that potentially does give us opportunities to say. Actually, as you were saying, you know, we could start to make some changes around glove use. We could start mm-hmm. to make some changes around this as well. And you're saying, you know, about this issue with PPE and plastic, it's raised it in mm. people's minds again as an issue. It's yeah. like, look how much we've created in this. Let's do something about it now that we can. So there's potentially opportunities with this kind of change mm-hmm. that's coming as well. Yeah. And I think that of general awareness about an interest in single-use plastics in the public is one of the major hooks that gets people Mm. you know to email us or contact us and then you know you you can start to talk to them about the other elements of of the sustainability agenda but quite often that's the thing that because it's really visible and sometimes you know people are quite upset about the amount of of single-use plastics we use so it can be a good way to get them involved in that certainly, certainly seems to be where there's been a lot of activity in our Green Ambassador Network. So it's been fantastic to see, uh, particularly within our health business, about yeah. that, you know, these people who work in catering are coming up with these really innovative ways of yeah. getting food to the wards and reducing single-use plastics. It's something that people can really tap into and understand mm-hmm. and are now really taking action against. Yeah. I wondered if I had perhaps 
because it's a shame because it's such an interesting conversation but I thought I do want to get in uh before we finish our chat about uh the long-term stuff because you both touched on that in different ways with the you know long-term effects of climate change for health and also with the kind of investor network and and ask you I mean obviously you're both madly busy in the day job the kind of day-to-day sustainability plans and procedures and innovation do you have headspace to think about next 10 20 years you know is this building going to be resilient are we going to have to think about air conditioning because you know climate change is going to bring more heat strokes or or whatever that is do you get do you think you get the space to have those long-term thoughts and strategies uh, <laughs> you both, you both think, Ooh, I was going to say, it's an interesting one from our point of view because we are kind of a contracting business. So our contracts are typically kind of 10, 12 years long, and we're more often than not on our customers' facilities. So for us, the challenge is around understanding what the risks are for us as an organization and the kind of transitional risks. But I think there's a real piece that's coming, and we're seeing with our customers, like Laura was saying, you know, the way that you're looking to influence your supply chain about how we work with our customers, how we work with the building occupants, how we work with the building owners, because that's the other thing with the public sector. Quite often they're different people. The building might be owned by one person operating on behalf of this part of the public service and we're in doing certain parts. So so I think that kind of those long-term issues, they are there and they bubble over and it's more around, for me, the challenge or the opportunity is around collaboratively working with that. It's not something we don't build buildings that we need to think about this. We need to sort of work with our clients and our supply chain to understand what that bigger risk is. Yeah, I think for us, you know, there's two things really. One, in in terms of any new buildings and developments that we're doing, they're definitely being built both with net zero carbon in operation kind of in mind, but also it to be prepared for a change different climates and and you know the different extremes that that might bring but all but as a trust as well we've got you know emergency preparedness business resilience type plans that 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 are already think about what do we do in these extreme weather events and what you know we already know what we do you know if there's a big heap of snow or whatever um so it's more about working with them to think well actually so we are upskilling those people and that you know these things are going to become more frequent and more extreme so it's not a whole new plan it's just building in what we know into the existing kind of structure and framework brilliant so before we we finish, um, I always ask all our guests whether they are optimists or pessimists in terms of the future. So, uh, Laura, optimist or pessimist? Oh, definitely an optimist. Yeah, I think the scale of the change in the last, you know, couple of years, even the it, it, we're seeing so, so much of a, a, a positive snowball effect. And I just think, you know, people are starting to demand the level of change that's needed. And and we as big organisations will, will have to follow suit. And did you think when you started your sustainability journey that that's where we would end up or indeed this was the sector in which you'd end up? I, I guess I probably didn't think it would take this long because for the first, you know, good few years, it, it didn't change much. You were having the same conversations quite often. So I I, I think I probably hoped we would get here a bit sooner. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I'm but I'm pleased we are, you know, t- dealing with it now. Yeah. Uh, Rebecca? 
Oh, definitely an optimist. I think you need to be. (laughs) (laughs) And I guess same question to you. I mean, when you started off in your sustainability journey, I mean, did you think you'd end up working in this sector? And did you think that you'd see the change that you've seen? Or did you think like Laura, it would happen a bit faster? It's it's interesting. So I back when I was at university, I studied environmental sciences and had this image of me just being on a beach, basically, for a job. I wasn't sure what I was going to (laughs) do. Sort of had this kind of really. So that's what's been fascinating to have you know, this career is it's changed and it's evolved and it's continuously evolving. And, you know, climate change was just being talked about a little mm-hmm. bit, but it was much more about environmental protection at the start of my career. So it's lovely to see. But I've been having some really interesting conversations recently with the graduate community in our organisation. And it's a really kind of brings it home. Do you think they're just starting their careers now? But when they finish, we'll be at 2050. We will be net yeah. zero carbon. And actually you talk about them and it's this really kind of positive vision for the future around what car they're going to be driving and the offices that they're going to be occupying and the way that they're going to be working that it's it's a really positive optimistic future that they're painting for the businesses mm-hmm. that they will be leading in the future so I'm with them. I'm 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 an optimist. <laughs> yeah, I'm 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 still at the beach. Actually, I did have a moment once when I, I worked on a construction site and I was sort of in this construction site in the middle of this busy airport, kind of peering in skips, going something's gone wrong for my dream <laughs> of being on a beach. But I've had a very you know very fulfilling career and very lots more exciting opportunities to look forward to going forward even if I didn't end up on the beach <laughs> you know I think that is an aspiration for us all to get into our contracts our next contract is being on the beach <laughs> uh, Laura and Rebecca thank you so much for joining us it's been a real blast and thank you so much for sharing your thoughts and visions and you know you're uh, giving us a bit of an insight into your uh, your daily lives um and thank you to everybody who listens. Uh, it's great to see you know, so much of your feedback. Do let us know if there's anything, you know, if, if you share Laura and Rebecca's experiences, if there's anything you'd like to ask them, uh, we'll hand over those questions. Uh, do get in contact with us. Uh, it's great to hear your thoughts and what you'd like to hear in the next few editions. So uh, uh, for now, uh, until the next time, uh, thanks so much for listening to Green in the News and see you next time. 